Welcome to No Wahala, the podcast, highlighting the voices, experiences, and reflections of African diasporans reconnecting to Africa. I am Gaima, and it's my intention to bridge the gap between the African and the African diasporan through the story shared by my guests and myself. We could learn a lot together. It's time to level up. It's no wahala. Sweet, sweet salon. I say that now, but to be honest with you, it was extremely difficult trying to adjust to what I call the mayhem of Freetown. It took several months for me to even kind of settle down and my anxiety wear off a little bit. And by the time it was time for me to finally come back, the struggle was all too real. This episode captures actual moments in time, my feelings and thoughts I hope it provides you with some insight on what my experience was like and how my feelings and emotions changed over the course of time. I'm laying here on the couch in my accommodations here in Sierra Leone, Freetown, Sierra Leone to be specific. We tend to call these type of homes in the U.S. mansions. Um, Here in Sierra Leone, they're just houses. Yep, it's humongous. I think there's like 10 rooms in this house. Um, Yeah, anyway, I'm extremely comfortable, but um, I'm really just trying to take it all in because my city is crazy. Freetown is what may be normal to the ones who are here, but to someone like myself who is U.S. born, you know, a traveler of sorts, recent travels to think what five or six other African countries Freetown is um, very backwards to me the Wi-Fi cell phone situation is where I'll start Um, it's it's a scam I feel like all of my people here are in what I, I can only call a, an actual shit show. It's a shit show. Um, it costs a lot of money to connect to the internet and browse the internet, um, interact on social media. Um, everyone here, their version of social media really is WhatsApp. And if they're you know, going above and beyond Facebook with limited, um, data to, you know, upload and download photos. Um, Something that I think many of us take for granted 
as you know, you're sitting at work, maybe listening to this because you're bored. Um, you probably hate your job and um, your source of entertainment is something that is online that you can stream or download and listen to. Um, that is something that is considered luxurious here. Um, whereas where we are from in the U.S. especially, it's extremely normal. Um, it's how we pass our days. So imagine having to reach out to somebody to add data or minutes to your phone every other day so that you can get on the internet and just see what's going on. You, you would be confused as I am currently. So um, we're actually in the process of trying to acquire a working uh, Wi-Fi modem, a portable one, so that we can pay for a plan that will at least guarantee us um, high streaming. The cost of it though, on average is about um, 50, the equivalent of 50 US dollars for 18 days. Um, if we want a full month, it's about $120. So do your maths, compare that to your Wi-Fi um, service, and you'll understand when I say my people here are being ripped off. Um, obviously, the infrastructure here is completely different. This is a country that was war-torn for decades during the time that the information age was just beginning to happen all over the rest of the world. So it's technically as if we were not a part of that because of dealing with a war-torn environment. It's like we missed that boat. So now uh, it's starting. It's, 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 it's hard to process. Um, and it's gonna take some time because Freetown is a overcrowded city. Millions of people live in the city and should not. Um, the city was not designed to accommodate the amount of people that currently live in the city. You can see houses that are legit built on mountains, uh, mountainsides, hillsides, beautiful, but it's, it's hard to comprehend that it's even there. I know many of you uh, can remember recent news events about the mudslide that took um, thousands of lives here in Sierra Leone. Um, we drove by that particular mountainside a few days ago. It was kind of eerie to see it in person, um, but uh, I can see how it happened and um, just, it's, it's devastating. So it's a lot, it's a lot um, to process. Um, I personally cried, I think on and off for two days straight. I, I had, um, I was just overwhelmed with emotions, uh, positive emotions of being back after being gone for almost 30 years to the date. Part of me was um, really just devastated because the family members that 
I grew up knowing and knew, you know, had just as much love for me as I have for them, if not more, you know, they're gone, they're deceased. And if they aren't dead and they're alive, they're in the States, they're not here. And so we have a lot of relatives that are here, but we don't know them. So trying to figure out the logistics of how we're going to see them, who we should go to see, who we should actually avoid. Processing all of that, it's extremely difficult because um, you never can really understand what it's like to go back to an environment that you have in your mind as being a place of um, serenity and comfort and now it's a completely different ball game because it's like you have to be on your toes at every moment because you never really know what to expect. You are not sure who to trust. And this is where I shouldn't have to feel that way because it's, it's where my people are from. A lot of that stems from, you know, distance in general. When you don't grow up with somebody, it doesn't matter how related you are, you know, there's a disconnect. Um, there's a lot of history amongst relatives that came before you that you could never really understand. And you're just walking into that. So you don't know who is happy to see you and who isn't. Because um, people wanna be politically correct. Um, either that or they're blatantly disrespectful. Um, so it's a lot of dynamics that I am trying to process. Oh, with all of this, um, at least I'm not doing it alone. Um, having my mom here, having my sisters here um, makes this doable. Um, I can honestly say that if they weren't here, I don't know that I would be able to be here more than a week. And I would probably experience it from a tourist perspective because I would have stayed on the beach with beverages in hand and avoided the family dynamics because it's just overwhelming. Um, but at least, you know, uh, you know, they say there's, there's, only one mother, and um, that's the absolute truth. Um, she's a lot. Anybody who knows me personally knows my mom is a lot. But I don't know a prayer warrior that's as um, vigilant as she is and is as protective as she is of the people who she cares about. And I know that we are at the top of her list. So um, so we are here figuring it out together. Um, <laughs> Koku, one of my best friends is also here. You know, we've been traveling together for the past two months through various African countries. And so um, she's taking it all in. 
I'm sure her processing of it all is quite different from mine because her family is not from here. Um, her family is from Tanzania, but she had her own um, emotional roller coaster when we spent 40 days and 40 nights there. So, um, yeah, we're on a roller coaster. It is what it is, right? But we know that by the end of this first leg of what we'll say is our African tour, the amount of data collected, footage captured, experiences experienced, um, I'm sure it's tour worthy, if not book worthy. So stay tuned. I got it I'm sitting here up in the hills of Sierra Leone in Freetown, watching my surroundings, observing my neighbors carry on with their day. That involves a little girl, maybe no more than seven or eight years old, that's been given the task to break apart rocks with a hammer in her bare hands as a way of contributing to her family's project, which is to construct another building on their land. She's wearing a bright pink fuchsia shirt, one of my favorite colors, which is what caught my eye. A skirt and flip-flops. Her hair is braided up into a, um, a side ponytail, what we call native plant, and for the past 15 minutes, I've been watching her. If you listen closely, you could hear her in the background using all of her strength to break apart stones so that they'll be dirt that is more malleable for her older brothers, possibly an uncle, maybe even her father. They'll be able to use this to continue the construction that's happening on their land, which is right next to the land in the residence that I'm residing in. She's been at it for some time now. So I know she didn't go to school today. I'm not sure if she's home because it's still holiday break and she's helping or if her family just can't afford to educate her. And so this is something that she does on a regular basis as her way of contributing. But she's not 
running around, playing with friends her age. She is steadily focused and working. It's 2018, but it feels like I'm looking at the past. Being here feels like I'm in a time warp. One ticket and I can leave, yet I almost feel like I have to stay. My frustration is so severe with the state of my ancestors' country that I don't sleep. Even when I sleep, when I wake up, it's on my mind. I have yet to go to the club and enjoy myself. It's almost as if I feel guilty being entertained while so many people around me, my age, maybe a little older, maybe younger, are just so poor without opportunity. And I feel like it's just within their reach. A lot of it has to do with the mentality these people as a whole suffer from trauma of Ebola, war, a civil war. That happened during the exact same time that the world was coming online and information technology was becoming a thing. So it's as if it bypassed this particular part of the world. This environment was shell-shocked. It's just now starting to come online, starting to understand how important the internet is and the content that's available there. Most of the people are displaced. There's an overpopulation of Sierra Leoneans in the city, the capital of Freetown, because they ran away from their villages due to fear during the war. And they didn't come back. because people's entire livelihoods are at stake here with these elections. This is, this is not um, us versus them on some um, 
when it comes to policies and um, when it comes to ideologies and what may or may not then be put into law that could affect an ideological law or a bill. We're talking about how people eat every day. We're talking about the difference between whether or not you started a project on building your home, which you're building from scratch by hands, maybe your hands or the hands of people in your family who have the capacity to build a home and them having the resources, you all having the resources to complete the building of this home because of a job that you now have due to a relative who has some sort of position in government that is giving you like a contract so that you can just feed your family consistently and be a, a, a breadwinner, a, a provider for your home. And with the change of the guard, that opportunity to do all of that may be wiped away for at least five years. When we talk about elections in the US, we go to the polls, we vote our little vote, and we go on with our day of working, schooling, entrepreneuring, whatever it is that we do, we continue. And at that level, local level, even if you're doing yes, midterm elections and you know the governors and the mayors and things of that nature, your entire yes, life livelihood is not at all at stake. Right? Yeah. That's true. This is keep going. this is a very dramatic climate because so much is at stake. For the past I would say, I don't know, 45 days. People truly are not earning income. Money is not flowing. Deals are on hold. Everything is after the elections, after the elections, after the elections. My own personal dealings with my tailor, seamstress, and the the ability for her to complete a project in its entirety the machine used to seal the 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 um seams within a particular garment was not done to the best quality that it should be done and i of course i called her out and said why is this like this well the machine is broken i said the machine is broken okay why aren't you guys just going to get another one and fix it? This is something that is a part of the process. I'm not asking for anything extra. <laughs> and the response right. is, well, we can't get the machine till after the elections. Oh, man. I said, Thanks. I get it. What? I went through a lot of emotions while I was in Sierra Leone. I went through really trying to process and understand a culture that naively enough I thought was similar to 
the culture that I was raised up in, in my household in the U.S., you know, with my parents interacting with aunties and uncles in the U.S., my cousins, so on and so forth. I thought that the way that I was raised and what I encountered, that was legit what I was going to find in Sierra Leone. Um, my parents, as much as they instilled the best that they could, what they believed they should have instilled, one of the things that I think they may have intentionally omitted was instilling a lot of the traditions embedded in the culture of Sierra Leone that are not progressive. And I'm thankful for that, but I was not ready for the culture shock. So many things blew my mind. And when you go there with this intent to visit, you know, um, just be around people that look just like you, who speak a language that you grew up listening to and learning. And, you know, more or less, I'm now fluent, extremely fluent. You know, there's a sense of connection that it's, it's unmatched. And so that's why I felt almost like I, I had to be there and my trip extended but trying to understand why things are the way they are trying to come from a place in a space where you know in the U.S. we exercise and have access to so many freedoms despite all of the bullshit the racism the sexism all of the isms you know that is definitely present and I don't discredit that but that actually trains your mind to be extremely fierce and hopeful and determined. And I basically stepped into an environment where that was just not the case. So it was difficult to try and approach everything with a clean slate and an open mind. And exercise patience in a way that I've never had to exercise patience before. Even in environments where I'm going toe to toe with racist boss and having to bite my tongue and not bite the head off of someone who has said something just extremely ignorant and, um, you know, some of you listening have had those those moments. Some of you probably had it yesterday. You may have had it an hour ago. Who knows? That moment, that feeling, that that heat that wells up inside of you, it's not comparable to some of the moments that I have dealt with in Sierra Leone, but it's with somebody who looks and resembles me, you know, there's no it's racism is not an issue there so it's a lot of other isms and other shit and i wasn't i wasn't mentally ready it's like i took a crash course self-inflicted crash course and because of my my will to push through i stayed and one of the things that I had to do, I had to find a way to find peace with all of that. 
I'm so thankful for all of the people who would connect with me while I was over there and talk with me, um, especially the ones that would talk with me. Um, because sometimes you just need a sounding board. Texting, quick, hey, are you okay? It, it helps, but it's not enough. And talking to somebody who comes from the same environment as you, you know, and understands, it makes it a little bit easier to explain what's going on and they just understand, like, the stress of what I'm trying to do, to deal, what I'm trying to process, you know, what I'm trying to do, how am I trying to, with all of these differences, still persevere and immerse myself into the culture and try and do things, especially from a business perspective. It was tough. So talking it out with people who are really, you know, dear to me and understand me, but can challenge me was extremely helpful. And prayer became absolutely like a necessity. Like prayer is something that is taught to us, but that whole pray without ceasing um, and having faith, real faith became a mantra for me. And that those two things finally paired with just finding peace and really appreciating it whenever I could, it became a necessity. It was, it was like a coping mechanism. So I really would appreciate when rain would fall because it was as if it was like a break from all of the nonsense and all of the stress and all of the anxiety. And it was like a reset button for me and has become like a truly a reset button for me. I never considered myself to be like a green thumb or somebody who was like in tune with nature. And now like if there's not a lot of trees around or like a place and a space where I can go to just be calm, I'm, I don't, I really don't want any parts. So that was an aspect of my trip that I, I didn't know was going to come about. It definitely helped me to grow um, spiritually. Honestly, I don't really feel like talking because I feel like crying. It's my last day of this journey in Sierra Leone. <coughs> I'm sitting at my aunt and uncle's house in Goderich staring out into the skyline my view are palm trees the roofs of homes barbed wire affixed atop fences concrete fences that surround any property that has like a full constructed home and 
light poles, air conditioner. Children are in the background walking by, singing and playing, even though many of them are in a state of poverty. We're fortunate and we're not <coughs> at all impoverished. And so the dogs you hear are the security dogs that belong to our family, but they're playful and cute as well. And um, this is my home for now here in Sierra Leone. It took me almost five months to arrive at my home here in Sierra Leone, but I'm finally here. Where I was staying was definitely a comfortable environment, but it wasn't home. And the most important thing that I think people must understand about the definition of home is it's, to me at least, it's defined by being in a space, in a place where you feel comfortable, you're able to love, and you're able to be loved. It's just that simple. As someone who has been traveling from what they would say is away from home, I'm torn because I feel like now I'm a child of two homes. There are people who truly love me that are here at home. And of course, there's the family that were my first loves that are in America, which is where I'm headed back to. I'm excited to see them. I miss them so much. I miss the company, the camaraderie of friends. I miss the busy, fast-paced life of Brooklyn, New York. I miss the process of traveling to visit other relatives in other cities. I miss <coughs> boring-ass Ohio from time to time. Because even though I can't stand that place, I have people there that I really love, starting with my parents, but very, very close friends. And um, it'll be great to be reunited with so many. Of course, my other besties in Indianapolis and has been kind of holding my hand via cyber connection this whole trip. You know, while in the other hand, my other best friend was actually a part of my travels. So it's been a trip, a journey of love, support, awakenings, clarity, pain, sorrow, disgust. But there's no way in the world that I expected to experience all of what I've experienced. And I'm extremely grateful to God for the opportunity.
the opportunities to be able to travel, the opportunity to be able to be in environments and learn so much from the people in my environments, the opportunities to do so with a clear, sound mind, the opportunity to learn, to process, to dream, to visualize the future. There's so much that I'm looking forward to. And um, <clears throat> it's all, I would say, really, truly through the grace of God. Literally, it's just through the grace. <sighs> yeah. It's going to be a tough next 48 hours just traveling and reminiscing and trying to still be in the moment as it's happening but what I know is that it's all up it's all up to the almighty of what will happen next I'm just merely one of his children trying to do my best I'm in a lot of anguish because I know how much I'm going to miss being here and being around the people who I'm around, who I love and who love me. But everything has its time and it really is about balance. So just trying to execute that balance. so many stories to share so much to tell but there's also so much that I can't quite yet conceptualize and some of it I can but you would have to know me to get some of those stories and it is what it is so until then stay tuned listening to No Wahala, the podcast. I hope you are inspired to deepen your connection to Africa through the story shared by my guests and I, the African diasporans in Africa. Follow No Wahala on your favorite podcast streaming platform today. Comment, rate, and share. We could all learn from each other. For more, visit us at iamgaima.com backslash no wahala.